I went to a marvelous party. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California. It's the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, the Internet's first live comedy variety show. Featuring special correspondence from the worlds of entertainment, politics, and lousy relationships. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you through the dinnerpartyshow.com with your hosts, New York Times best-selling novelists Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Well, welcome to a very special edition of the Dinner Party Show. Yes, we're calling it At the Table, and it is a collection and a reflection on some of our best live on-air interview segments. It's the first time we've ever done something like this. Well, I have to say, I think all of our interview segments have been really great. Yes, but there have been some moments where we have laughed so hard I thought we weren't going to be able to go on with the show. So we've included (laughs) those. We've also included a moment of Eric Shaw Quinn getting teary-eyed over meeting one of his idols, which will be coming up later. We were crying too hard to go on with the show. Absolutely. And yes, it was very hard to pick because all of our interviews have been great, and if we've strung them all together it would be be a four-hour our show, I guess, or something but like that. But they are all available to listen to on our website and <laughs> at the iTunes page and probably some other way that I'm forgetting You are tuned into the dinnerpartyshow.com information channel full of constant instructions right? and technical How updates. to listen to our show and listen to our show and listen to our show. All Dinner Party Show, all the time. We have free mobile apps, which we like to remind people about, because people think if they can't be in front of their computers at 8 Eastern or 5 p.m. Pacific that they're going to miss out on the show. But you can listen anywhere you are on your phone. Our mobile apps are very simple, and And they're free. Free, 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 free. And you can listen live, or you can listen to a continuous stream of the show that plays all week long until the next new show airs. Absolutely. So you can catch up on... Last week's show, or all of the shows are available on at thedinnerpartyshow.com and uh, in our show archive, and also available on iTunes. Also we have for a, free. Also for free on iTunes. We have a separate iTunes page where everything is. And we started breaking the podcast up into smaller bite-sized segments because. Our show is very high quality, and we uh, don't want to reduce it to mono, which is how most podcasts come, and uh, so we post them in stereo, which means the download times are a little bit longer, and we ask you to be patient, but we've got a lot of music and sound effects and soundtracks involved in the Dinner Party Show, and we don't want to make those sound tinny and canned for you. We're only thinking of you really your quality listening experience. Exactly. exactly. And there's SoundCloud as well, but that's not the interview so much as the special correspondence and special features on the show. Absolutely. Jordan Ampersand. Joan L. Sams, Twan, Queen of the Stars, a lot of the words from our sponsors. Those are all on our SoundCloud profile, which you can find at soundcloud.com slash the dinner party show. But tonight it's just the best of the best from Absolutely. our interviews. And I think that's a wonderful way to kick things off. We're starting with our first guest on the show, our premier guest. Yes, a little writer named Anne Rice. You may have that heard some of, of her. you may have heard of that we have sort of a tenuous connection to here at the dinner party show. She seems to like the show okay. She does, and she was our first interview. Yeah. She was really our first that. interview. She drove in from the desert to be live in the studio with us on our first night, which I believe was November eleventh. Is that right? I think that's right. It yeah. was the first Sunday after the elections. It was our launch date. It was November 11th. And we talked about a lot about of those things. Crazy elections. Oh yeah, we were we were we wanted deliberately to launch after the election because we didn't, because want, we to didn't want to talk about it. We were so, so sick of it. Sick of those elections. My god, I hope they don't start again anytime oh, soon. God, I mean, but that's a bad thing. This is tonight's a great thing. We're absolutely. just going to focus on this wonderful interview. Um, uh, what happens? What what are we listening well, to first? Well, she talked a lot about her relationship to Facebook. 
And she talked about how she interacts with, I think she's going on now over 700,000 followers on Facebook. My God. That it's become an important outlet for her. She's been called the queen of Facebook. And she was also asked a listener, I'm sorry, a question by one of our listeners. What was the worst thing I did as a child? (laughs) How do you narrow that down to Uh, just the one? And she managed to in this clip. Here it goes. But mom, talk. Let's talk some about your relationship to Facebook because it's been a very important thing for you these past few years. It's been a sort of direct I, line I love of communication. It. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I have a I have a page, and I refer to the people on the page as the people of the page, and I go on every day, several times a day, and um, really enjoy it very much. I love I love to talk about all kinds of things on Facebook, um, serious subjects, light subjects, TV, politics. Poetry, film, books, my books, my characters, whatever. I love to ask questions of the people of the right. page. Like, you know, if you w- would you take the dark gift from Lestat if he offered it to you to become a vampire? You know, that type of thing. And, and I'll get maybe like a thousand answers. And it's, well, it's really did, great. What did the majority of them say? Yes or no? Uh, actually, they there were a whole range of comments. Most of them said yes, but a lot of them wanted the dark gift from another vampire. Why? They wanted it from Armand or they wanted it from Marius or they wanted it from Claudia. You know, the, the, I don't know. They, they, one thing that I love about my readers is that they have all these choices and all these favorites, and they can get pretty angry with me over, you know, who's their favorite vampire and, you know, what 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 am I saying about vampires and so forth. I caused a terrible scandal on the page recently. What happened? I, well, I insisted that Lestat was a fan of Honey Boo Boo, and people <laughs> people left the page in rage. You know what? <laughs> Let me just say something about that, because I watch the page from a distance, yes. which is every night before bed. I go on and I read oh, the comments, yeah. some of which I those people better hope they never meet me in person. Well, no, that, um, I, I do welcome all opinions. That's fine, and I think it's great. Like and the it, dinner party absolutely, show. you welcome all opinions. Um, every time one of them writes some post about, that is it, I am leaving your page, I have lost respect for you, your number of yes. followers goes up by about 50%. Well, so, I, it, it makes me sad every time someone leaves, but since I don't Mom, believe... Mom, I don't think they're actually leaving. I think it's just an empty threat. That's what I'm trying to say. I understand. Right. But I don't believe in shunning people who hold different political views from me or, you know. Absolutely not. So it's always a little bit of a shock when someone says that. If I post something on the Democratic Party or the election and they say, that's it, I'm off your page, I'm going to boycott your books at the local store, I'm never, you know, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to destroy you personally. I'm always amazed because when did this start shunning the other mainstream party it in really America? Is, when really did this is. happen that I'm... people... You know, well, whatever. I we have it on our side of the fence, too. We have it on the gay community. Whenever a com- Before the real story is in on something a, co- a corporation or a company did, yeah. everybody starts saying, let's do a boycott. Yes. And I people know. who are seasoned activists say, hey, wait a minute. A, we don't have the whole story. And B, a boycott is a very complicated thing. You don't just boycott a product. You have to organize people to boycott on mass for it to be effective. Well, well, we need to think about what it means to boycott somebody for holding a sincere opinion about something. Mm-hmm. See, I, I don't believe we should do that, basically. Now, if you, if you think that a corporation is doing something that's really destructive and evil out there with their money and with their publicity and their power, that's one thing. But just for being Republican or being Democrat or being anti-gay marriage or being pro-gay marriage, what right have we to try to force people economically to change their conscientious opinions? I don't think that's right. I never did. I mean, back in the 50s when I went to college, you know, everyone said, we're not going to eat Welsh's Junior Mints because of the John Burt Society. And I thought, well, <laughs> that's ridiculous. I mean, the man that's what the man believes. He's an arch conservative. We're not, we're going to try to, well, I mean, first of all, what difference is it going to make to him if we don't eat Junior Mints? But I mean, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but, I, but I think there's also something to be said for standing up for what you believe in. Like, it, it, it's fine if you believe that, like the Chick fil A guy. Well, now that. If he wants to believe that, and he wants to exactly. use that as a book. That's fine, but it's also, you know, my I vote with my feet, right? Well, sure, I'm not going sure. to show up for you. That's sure. not, I, that doesn't work for me, and so I'm not going in. Yeah. I, but, I but, but that's a different thing from systematically trying to destroy the man's business because he holds a different... You're right. You know. There are two different well, types we of boycotts. Think about this, you know. There's a personal boycott, which I think is what Eric sure. is describing. Yeah, I don't want to eat there. There's a, we're trying to really destroy the business. But let me yeah. say something that I, I absolutely believe and I have to say it. I am never boycotting Krispy Kreme. Ever. <laughs> 
I don't care if their owner runs over dogs for fun. Those are the best donuts I've ever That's had. That's well, I just lost all the dog Exactly yeah. the okay. same way about Jack in the Box tacos. I mean, forget it. Mom, I don't think they've made tacos for 15 years. Aha, uh-huh, but they have. <laughs> they do. Uh-huh. And I buy them. <laughs> and I eat them all the time. And, and I can't tell you what it means to me to know that I can still get those tacos after... Fifty and they're years. Like a dollar and, and ten it's cents the, or something. Exactly, and it's the same a little hot taco. Tacos. Same little hot taco with that same little hot sauce. And I used to get that in Berkeley when I was an aspiring writer, and I was working on my old IBM typewriter and stealing paper from from various places in order to write. And I would get those tacos, and it would just be it would just be the most wonderful, evil pleasure. And I can still go out. Where I live in the California doesn't get those tacos. Excellent. Well, Henry Valdez, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Henry, would like to know what was the worst thing I did as a child or young man that made you really mad and got me in the worst trouble for doing it? <laughs> well, you know, that's hard to answer because the thing that got me the most concerned uh, didn't have any consequences for you. We just explained that it was bad. It was when you came into my marble tiled bathroom off my office and you decided to fill it with water because you thought that the bathroom being tiled in marble would hold it like a I, pond. I did. And all the water flooded down into Susie Just Q's like office downstairs Your in our house. Office. My secretary's listen, office. Listen, as a child, I believed in a world where marble could support water. <laughs> I, I still believe in my heart in that that's world. What, that's the way it is on Jerry, Tom and Jerry cartoon. I absolutely. Or, and the drowning pool. Or I Love Lucy, where that whole bathroom right. fills up with water. Well, maybe right. there should have been consequences. Like, maybe somebody should have taken you aside and said something about reality. But nobody did. Because <laughs> you weren't working in reality at the no, time. No, we were so busy cleaning up that water and trying to, you know, see that the entire plaster ceiling. But anyway, that okay. was the worst. I, I that remember, was one of the craziest I things actually, you ever did. I remember the worst thing. What did, and and what you've that? forgotten it. <clears throat> I was, was it? about six or seven years old, and I hid from you two yeah. in a department store. Uh, I thought and of that. And that was really bad. And I remember the moment when, because it was the Bay Area, and it was the, the 80s, and there had been a lot of child abductions. Yes. And none of this was going through my head. I just thought it would be fun. And I remember hiding behind a rack of blue jeans, because that's how small I was at the yes. time. Yes, yes. Seeing Dad's expression as he walked up and down the aisle thinking, uh-oh, right. I have done it. <clears throat> yeah. This is not going to be good. <laughs> Too much. Yeah. We did not think it was funny. Uh, you're right. I remember that very distinctly. We were terribly frightened and upset. Yes. And, uh, you know. But you so, were very nice about it. But the it. filling the bathroom I was six, with water. So I knew I, I needed to be nice about I it. I like yeah. the water one. I yeah. think somebody should invent a watertight bathroom. I think that's a Absolutely. really good call. Like, yeah, I think you sure. should be able Go to fill, and up fill it room, up right? Exactly. If they can do foam parties at gay bars, they can do watertight bathrooms in the homes of every Absolutely. American. I would think. Absolutely. Yeah. What is our country coming to? I, I know. I we have another question. This one is from G. Dwayne Johnson. He says, looking back at your life, if you could not be an author, but you could be successful at any other occupation, what would you have chosen? Oh, rock star singer, of course. Wow. But I can't sing a note. But Dwayne said, if you, you know, if you could be successful Good in anything, call. rock star singer, rock star singer, poet, oracle, Cassandra. You know, that's what I would have loved to have been. <laughs> wow. Oh, and by the way, hello, Dwayne, and I hope everybody down there is doing well. I love Dwayne. He's a very special friend. I love Henry Valdez too. Very special friend. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Some safety considerations have been omitted for the sake of editorial purposes. Well, I did, so life doesn't work like I Love listen, Lucy, Christopher. Listen, it's not I Love Lucy. It was The Drowning Pool with Paul Newman. That was the inspiration. And I will someday build a bathroom in my house that can be completely filled with water up to at least waist level just because of well, this story. Well, you've got story. that one bathroom that has the shower right in the middle of the room. Yeah, I don't use that, though. It's weird and you're cold. I've actually the showered shower. there and you're right. It it's is cold. really freezing. You're just literally standing in the middle of the bathroom. This It just comes out of the ceiling. Yeah, I had well, to do a lot of work on my apartment just come when out I of moved in. It was anyway. a porno apartment, and I had to tone it down for an old man like me. <laughs> it's all covered with chintz and needlepoint now. Absolutely. Okay, so our next, who's our next guest up? Oh, this was the best. So we started off the show by doing what we called a pop culture roundup, which has sort of evolved over the, the subsequent episodes. But we thought because we were having Marsha Clark, who is the famed oh, uh, prosecutor right. from the O.J. Simpson murder case, who's Love gone on to Marcia. be a critically acclaimed mystery novelist now. And we had and also- a good friend of the show. Absolutely. She's been on the show twice, actually. Right? This was her first appearance. And we also- 
brought Jan Burke on, who's an Edgar Award-winning novelist and also a forensic science advocate. And so a we, nut. We thought, instead of pop culture headlines roundup, we would do wacky death roundup. <laughs> and this clip, I'd have to say she one. Yeah, this was the wackiest death of all. Here goes. So our first item. Right. Woman dies after pet llama slips on wet grass and strikes her. Wet grass can be so dangerous. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> Particularly if you have four cloven hooves. Right. Well, llamas and wet grass clearly do not mix. Bad combo. I yeah, saw that yeah. PSA in school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did. Yeah. Do not put your llama on wet grass. It's a really, it's right. a, yeah, it can only right. lead to heartache. Right. Well, as, as this intrepid reporter says, it's a death you wouldn't wish on anyone. <laughs> <laughs> like you would be sitting around saying, you know, may you may your llama slip on right? wet grass. That is an ancient you. Aramaic curse. Yes. May your llama yes. slip yes. on yes. wet grass. Yes. And yes. I and I especially appreciate it about this story, which is basically that this woman comes out to see her llama. The llama gets very excited about seeing her and the llama in its excitement. It's it's a little klutzy. Slips, slips, crashes into mom of llama or whatever, you know. And it, it's llama, llama, bing bang or something. But it 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 hits its 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 beloved owner and and she hits her head on a concrete and apparently also has a heart attack. So, I mean, I really think if her number wasn't up, yeah. you know, I, I don't know whose is. I mean, you know, when God has to go to the extreme of having your llama slipped and, to, you know, knock you out of the universe. And get I mean, your heart attack it. cranked but, up. But this was my favorite God line. jumped the shark. Oh, yes. right. This is the best right. part. Right. Or jump the, favorite, yeah, my, jump the llama. My, my favorite line in the whole story is, yeah. authorities don't believe baby doll. This is the name of the llama, baby doll. My favorite part. Authorities don't believe Baby doll acted maliciously. <laughs> so it was I do. just I death do, by llama and it. misadventure. You know, they, they questioned oh. Baby doll extensively, apparently. Right. And, and uh, you know, Baby doll under the lights, getting the third degree. Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. I yeah. mean, when it's your time, it is your time. It, it is. It, it is. is your time. It, okay. And, I'm not sure that you can blame the llama. I don't think anyone did blame the llama. <laughs> uh, but I'm, it doesn't make me want to be around llamas any more than I did previously. Or wet grass. Yeah, I have to say. I, that, that was that or outside. The cake. That, yeah. How big is a llama? A llama's like seven feet tall. I guess so. I think they're like a horse or something yeah. that size. I don't Yikes. think they're as big as a camel, but Yikes. I think they're pretty good sized. Well, we didn't big just... Big enough. We didn't just laugh with Marsha and Jam. We also, because they both are very accomplished writers, and Marsha has recently been doing some more work in television, we wanted to ask them about the difference between real-life criminal procedure and forensic procedure <laughs> and the TV version. And Marsha had some interesting responses, I thought. Yeah, no, it really is an interesting contrast between what we see as, you know, law and order or right. Perry Mason and and what, uh, what actually happened. So here's insights from people who actually know. Speaking of the courtroom, Samiko Salson would like to know, Marsha Clark, how do you feel about the television portrayals of prosecutors in the various programs like Law & Order? Oh, do they measure up to real-life experience? Good question. And is there anything particular you would want to show in your stories that haven't been shown in those portrayals? Well, I think that actually prosecutors are doing a lot better nowadays than they used to in the Perry Mason days. Um, back in the Perry Mason days, prosecutors <laughs> were always nimrods. That were <laughs> I mean, starting with the name Hamburger. Hamburger, right? Does it get any worse <laughs> Thank you, Jan. You know, it's like, okay. It's a miracle any kid grew up wanting to be a prosecutor after that. But um, nowadays, it really is cool. Law & Order in particular, the original series, was right on the money. That really is very, very close to true and accurate. And the one thing I want to show, and TNT right now is developing um, a one-hour drama based on my series of oh, books. So excellent. Yay! Thank you, get to show what I want to show, which is the fun. I was talking about that. The fun, the laughter, the camaraderie, the crazy of it. You know, it's, they're not, the, prosecutors aren't necessarily all that right angle law enforcement. In fact, I, I right. knew plenty of prosecutors who were, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, keep going, please. I stop at that critical moment. We're only moment. live. <laughs> Therefore, so 
Yeah, so I'd like to show that other side where there are they are they are nuts and they are wild and they're crazy and they get high and they whatever, but they do a good job. It's not like they're they're falling down on the job. They're just not um, all that straight laced. And I'd like to show that side of it. Have you, have you seen this major crimes um, show that's on with Mary McDonald now mm-hmm. where they, they yes. work very closely with the DA's yes. office to negotiate pleas right. rather than to have to go to court? Which is true. Absolutely. If we had to go to trial on every case that got filed, we would collapse. The whole system would collapse. Ninety-seven oh. percent of the cases do get pled out. Huh. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. They have mm. to. They have to. Well, we have a we have a question for Jan from John Matson. He'd like to know: Have you ever been squeamish towards blood or a dissected corpse? And if so, how did you eventually get over it? If you ever did get over it? Well, I I have to say, I mean, I've had the sort of one step removed thing. All my research has been very uh, graphic PowerPoint shows. Um, I have been out once to where a body had lain for a while, and I've smelled that smell, mm. which is really the the key factor, I think, in, in putting people off. Yikes. But I, I have to admit, I don't have a huge curiosity about autopsies. Um, mm. I, I know about them. I know what goes on in them, but... Um, I, I don't have that curiosity to actually see one or, yeah. or whatever. Oh. It's just not a need. And I, and I do, I guess some part of me still has this thing of, you know, it's it's a human being and, right. and a little bit of dignity here. And, and uh, it, I feel this way about a lot of things with the research. You know, I don't want to keep right. I don't want to keep a detective. I want to tie up his time when he could be solving a murder, you know. So mm. I try ah. to be prepared when I talk to him. You know, How those many kinds murders of are solved based primarily or in a, in a major sense on something discovered during an autopsy? You know, and I, I mean, I ask that rhetorically because that's a convention of the TV show, right? The mm-hmm. autopsy needs to happen in the first or second act, and we find the, the pivotal scratch mark or bone dent that sends us off in the direction we need to be in for an hour. But how often do we really, does an autopsy turn up something that's crucial to a conviction? Well, the first thing you need to get your head wrapped around is that there aren't all these autopsies going on. Yeah. Um, it's right. a very, very, autopsies are expensive. So they oh. they only autopsy. Let me tell you, if you're over fifty and there's not blood spattered everywhere, <laughs> nobody's gonna autopsy you. You know, <laughs> That's kind so, of a relief. So right. you know, it's 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 a very low rate. It's actually a dangerously low rate of mm. autopsy. And so they're only going to do one if they really feel there's something that's that's going to be discovered by doing that. Um, sometimes, you know, all that's done is a talk screen to tell whether somebody was under the influence of, of something. You know, th- there's there's got to be some compelling reason for them to go ahead and do that. Absolutely. And bust you after death for being high. Absolutely. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show. Waiter, there's a guest in my soup. Well, Law & Order wins. I'm shocked. Yeah, I I have to say I was surprised at the time, but who knew? And I guess she's talking about the original Law & Order, which is no longer on the air and not SVU, but maybe it's the whole franchise. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't... We can follow up with her the next time she comes on the show, but yeah, it seemed like that they got it right. She... She did say they compressed it, obviously, for time, but she said they did a better job of representing, I don't know, my favorite will always be Perry Mason, but I think it's because it's so completely unrealistic. Right, and because, as Marsha was pointing out, the DA in Perry Mason is always depicted as being a kind of bumbling fool, isn't that right? And his name is actually Actually Hamburger, as Jan said. Yes, as Jan is always fond of pointing out. That's wonderful. Still love it. And hamburgers. Uh, always, always. Right. We were going to call it the Hamburger Show, but it got into a weird sponsorship thing. It didn't work right. out. Right, it was yeah. cop- somebody had copyrighted Hamburger. Hamburger that's, that's Show. That's just not true. Anyway. Anyway, uh, this was my personal favorite, This uh, or one of them. They're all my personal favorites, but this was really cute because this was a little tidbit of sort of insider celebrity gossip from the set of a TV show. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's not on the air anymore. It's the kind of story where if you told it in the wrong tone of voice, it would seem really bitchy, but... It, I think they presented it in the right way. Well, I think it was a loving sort of tribute. Yeah. They were in awe of a fellow cast member, Amber... 
Heard. Heard. Amber Heard. Who is really a stunning and remarkable beauty and quite a talented young Absolutely. lady. Absolutely. And the people telling the story were Chad Hodge, the hot young TV writer who created the Playboy Club, which is where all the players in this story met and began working together for a little while. Indeed. And he was joined by Laura Benanti, the Tony winning actress. beautiful and talented. Yeah, and it was sort of fun. We kept reacting to the fact that these beautiful and talented people were talking about how beautiful and talented someone else was. So you can get some idea of just how beautiful yeah. and talented Amber actually is. Absolutely. So here they are talking about a little game they invented called What Would Amber Do? Apparently, you guys worked together. No, not apparently. You did work together on the Playboy Club. <laughs> Obviously. And you played a special game of some sort? What was it? Tell me about oh. this. Yeah. Yeah, we would play a game called What Would Amber Do? What Would Amber Do? Yeah. Uh, you know, like, what would Jesus do? Oh, okay. But it was what would Amber do, which was Amber Heard. Because they knew Amber, and G- Jesus is yeah. really much harder to get in he's touch with. Amber Actually, Amber is harder to get in touch with than Jesus. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let's be honest. Wow. She's a very busy lady. That Amber. <laughs> she is. We, it, we, basically, she's the most gorgeous person in, in the, the world. world. Mm-hmm. Um, and very, you know, a, 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 a model and an actress and just knows very exactly smart. how to do everything, and people sort of worship her and everything. Like, this is a perfect example of Amber. We go out to dinner with her <laughs> and she's in like some crazy vintage outfit that she like put together in 20 minutes that she bought in some like bizarre in Marrakesh. Yeah. And Chad and I spent an hour and a half putting together our like J. Crew outfit. Yeah. We were feeling okay and this yeah. woman comes up to her, literally stands right in front of Chad and I and is like, I have been admiring your look all evening. Can I take a picture of you? Yeah. Yeah. And Chad and I were just like, we will yeah. never fucking win. We will never we will fucking never win. win. We will always be the nerds who listen to cats. It was most, I mean, the thing I remember most with, with what would Amber do with yeah. it was, was Laura and I were invited together to, we, you know, we shot the show in Chicago and we right. were invited to go together to this um, <laughs> magazine yes. party or something, you know, mm-hmm. like a red carpety thing. Uh-huh. And it was like, you know, the red car, the party starts at eight and the red carpets at seven right. and you know we, we want you guys to show up there together and to, yeah. we're gonna take pictures do stuff and say so something Laura and I are like, you know what are you gonna wear I don't know what are you gonna wear and it's like that whole J. Crew thing and what then and then it's do? like well okay what t- it, what time should we get there and Laura's like well I mean the red carpet starts at seven I feel like we should get there at like 6.55 <laughs> and I'm like nope. I'm like yeah you're probably right or like seven we could get there at seven mm-hmm. you know because then we have an hour to and then we were like, wait, what would Amber do? <laughs> and this is what Amber would do. She would arrive, if at, at all, yeah. <laughs> an hour and a half late yeah. with like a, a beautiful woman and a beautiful man on her arm. Yeah. And then they and would, who would and they everyone, be? And who everyone would, they would, be? would wait. They would just be her they people. Would, they would be like an artist and like a fire eater. <laughs> Right. That she just met. Exactly. That she just met in, uh, in an elevator. In circus class. And they're married now. And everyone would wait for her to get there mm-hmm. and take those pictures, and the mm-hmm. party would not start until. Yeah. Anyway, but she's just. She, first a, of she all, knows about this. She has she, a sense of humor. No, she knows this. about what would Amber do. We talked well, to her about it. The thing that I'm admiring about this whole thing is that a lot of people would realize this about somebody they were working with in entertainment and then try to destroy them. Oh, no, we yeah, love no. her. Yeah. No, 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 no. We realize that we're just like the theater dorks. No, we're. we're <laughs> For, she's like the cheerleader, the pretty cheerleader who also yeah. like happens to be very, very smart. Mm. So she's like the pretty cheerleader, and we're like the weird nerds who are like we'll never get it right. We'll never get it right. Yeah, and they're yeah. also not revealing their plans for revenge on the That's air. True. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, we're plot. not idiots, you guys. Not, we're just an nerds. end game. <laughs> there's an end game. You're listening to the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. If you're not offended. You haven't really been listening. What would Amber do? There was a song, too. We should have made them sing more of the song. We should have made them sing a lot more. We'll have to have them back. They were great guests and an awful lot of fun. Absolutely. Really enjoyed meeting them. Absolutely. So then we had one of my oldest, dearest oldest, friends oldest, on the show. Oldest friends. Jack Morrissey. Who is a riot and one of my favorite people. He has his own He's show. resident expert. He is our f- full-time film freak, which I believe is the title that Kevin Smith gave him. He does a podcast for the Kevin Smith Smodcast Network called Team Jack. And he joined us live in the studio, and he's always canoodling with the big celebrities. I'm telling you, one of the most remarkable lives. He's got stories about everybody, and this really sort of took the cake at a literary gathering like this one. He's actually had dinner with 
E.L. James, who, if you don't know, is the author of Fifty Shades of Grey. I yes. don't know where you've been if you don't know that. Right, but exactly. You may have heard of that book. A couple of people have bought copies. And I think one of the reasons he ended up at this dinner is that Jack's partner is Oscar-winning filmmaker Bill Condon, who won an Oscar for his screenplay of Gods and Monsters, which he also directed. And Bill went on to direct the final two Twilight movies. And Fifty Shades of Grey began as Twilight fan fiction. And Jack was working with some of the Twihard fans uh, to help promote the movie and the whole process. And in the end, ended up meeting up with E.L. James. Yep, and this is his description of that interesting dinner. It's our musical episode of The Dinner Party Show. We're back at the table with Jack Morrissey, the inventor of Grindr, um, who is currently... What's up, yo? What's up? Um, we were talking earlier Gangsta. about publishing. My mother has chimed in on our Facebook page and says Fifty Shades of Grey has made so much money for Random House that they gave everybody a bonus. That is wow. true. Wow. Yeah. Good absolutely. for her. And you uh, said you met bonus. her. I did. I spent two evenings at hers, as the British expression, wow. the British expression goes. E.L. James, hers. the author of Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, we're at talking hers about in now. London. How was it? Um, is she fun? She's really terrific. Yeah, she's very... Unbelievably down to earth. Um, she's got two teenage boys and an Irish husband who's uh, hilarious. She does all their laundry. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah. I mean, she's a, she's. I think she's as surprised as anybody. By what do the boys the think of her reputation as? The boys are not dissimilar from Bruce Kinsey, Alfred Kinsey's son, <laughs> as depicted in my partner's movie on Same. Also a great Who is film. sort of they've of not read it, but they don't want to know from it. Yeah. I think there are little... I hear ya. There are yeah. little... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we got another... <laughs> I, you know, I, I was instructed that I was not allowed to... But back to me. I was instructed that I was <laughs> not allowed to read the beauty, the Sleeping Beauty books until I was 21, and then 21 rolled around, and I tried, and I made it about three pages and thought, you know what? This is some great writing, but she is still my mother, so... Right. <laughs> they'll probably do that for a while. Although, what I've heard, I haven't read the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy... I've heard the first book is light on the bondage, and then in the second and third, it starts to get it starts to get well, a little for anyone heavy. Who, for anyone who just thinks that it's so-called mommy porn or straight-up porn, it's it's like I started reading it finally on the flight over to London, and I'm you know five, six, seven chapters in, and there's no aside from the first encounter mm-hmm. in, an, in an elevator, which was fairly G-rated. There's no Sex. Hmm. So it's it's like as I said to her at the dinner table actually with her kids sitting opposite me. That's nice. It's like if this was <laughs> that's our if Jack. it is porn, you take you'd take the DVD back. Right. If you were like if you were thirty minutes in and no action. Right. So it's a romance, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's anyway. more. It, yeah, it's more. The porn is up here. It's in the, the gray erotic, matter rather erotic, than. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I discovered recently, which I I had been aware of it forever, but I had never sampled any of it. This huge genre of of female writers writing male on male romance novels. That's and interesting. It it is a genre that's been elevated or made more prominent by Amazon and online publishers, where where it's you know easier to self publish and that stigma goes away. And right. some of it is very well written. I mean, some of it it was like these girls know what they're talking about. Mary, <laughs> Mary Renault is done my the favorite. Research. They've Speaking done of the pornography. research. They have their they've friends. They've gone to XTube and they've, right. they've put in the hours. <laughs> well, I'd always heard that. I'd always heard that the big silent audience for gay porn was straight women. That the big silent yeah. audience for queer as folk, for whom Eric did several right. novelizations, yeah, was that, straight women. Women right. were watching that show. That was their number one audience segment. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show, deep dish on shallow topics. I do my own laundry. <laughs> but you're not E.L. James. I also, I don't actually do my own laundry. I have a housekeeper who comes no, in once a I week No, I always love hearing laundry. stories like that, that people still are the regular. You actually do do laundry. You're unlike, you, you're better to actually do laundry, but you have your own washer and dryer. Yes, I do. I have my you're own one of the few people dryer. I know who will actually voluntarily do laundry. I, it's very zen to me. It's very zen. I, I did have a boyfriend who said the only reason you like doing this is because you never had to do it growing up, so it's like a novelty for you. you get, it's like, let's do laundry. Like, let's do our nails. Or, yeah, anyway. it's not really like that. But it's I, I love stories about celebrities like E.L. James still being 
regular people. One of my favorite memories was being at Thanksgiving at the home of Pamela Anderson mm-hmm. while Pamela was doing the dishes and Tommy was playing with the kids and the Nine Inch Nails were, you know, eating leftovers and hanging around in the living room and Andy Dick was... I think he was drinking way too much champagne, but actually no. behaving himself that evening. I think he's cleaned up his act. Yeah. But it was like a regular evening with mm-hmm. people. They just happened to be these particular people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite normal childhood memories is going to a ballroom filled with people dressed as vampires, and they give my mother a, a little figurine inside a coffin. I guess that's not that normal, huh? I guess that is kind of a little atypical. We had normal moments, but they weren't, on the whole, they weren't that normal. There wasn't like you pulled the screen back and we were having, you know, crackers and cheese. And yeah, it was a little weird. But anyway. But those moments happened too. Absolutely. Absolutely. They weren't all about little figurines in coffins. Absolutely. Just now it's time time. to talk about Eric Shaw Quinn crying. Yeah. Jack isn't the only one who gets to meet world-famous authors that we all want to know. Absolutely. Patricia Um, Nell Warren, who is one of the people who inspired me to be a writer in the first place, actually came in to be a guest on the show. If you haven't heard of her, I don't know why, but she wrote The Front Runner, one of the most... Well, the first book I ever read that actually had gay people in it, and it meant a great deal to me at the time. Gay people who weren't sick and diseased or trying to kill each other or being depicted as villains or all this. It was it was the first really widely read gay love story, contemporary gay love yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so she came in to discuss... Uh, the factors that led her to write The Front Runner, and basically to just bask in the glory of Eric's warm affection, as you'll hear in this clip. <laughs> I have to say, out of all the guests we've had on the show, the excitement on our Facebook page about your arrival has been pretty intense. Obviously, you have your work has touched a lot of lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Least of all, Eric Shaw Quinn's. So He's getting misty-eyed right now. Like, it's one of those things. It's just it meant so much to me that The Front Runner literally reached across the world and took my hand and said, it's okay, at a time in my life when I didn't have anybody else. I I wish I could remember how I wound up reading that book. I don't know how it wound up in my hands, but somehow there you were. It it changed me and I I think encouraged me to be a writer, that telling a story could make that big a difference in somebody's life. It really, I cannot say enough about how important you well, are. thank you. And have been to me. And I, I know to a lot of people that are listening tonight <clears throat> and will be listening next I, week absolutely. if they download the show. I mean, this is not to make you to your own horn, but this is something that you hear a lot. I mean, there was not another novel out at that time like yours, was there? Well, I was working at the Reader's Digest at that time, and I was in the book department. And my job was to everybody in the book department read hundreds of books a year to help the Reader's Digest decide what they were going to condense. And it was all nonfiction. And, uh, <clears throat> but we were also aware, because we read the trades, of what was coming out in fiction. And it really occurred to me that there were just – there were books about the subject out there, but where were the love stories? Hmm. Right, and they were always kind of grim and ended sadly, and and you know not to mean they're incredibly talented writers out there, but but the country had just not been open to hearing love stories, and I remember um, Eric Siegel's novel Love Story, which was fairly popular back in those fairly days. Fairly popular. <laughs> <laughs> the Reader's Digest condensed it. You know, how is it possible to condense that? It was a leaflet to begin I'll with. I'll tell you what, they condensed it by taking out all the four-letter words. Oh, oh, this is a true story, and so how much it weight did that ca- take ca- off the came book? out in the condensed book club. The condensed version and all the wonderful, you know, older women who were kind of the mainstay of the of the Digest readership uh-huh. thought, oh, the Digest is recommending this book. And so they ran out and they bought the regular, the hardcover, the regular edition to give to their children for Christmas. And that was when they became aware of, of the language. <laughs> and a lot of these people wrote in and canceled their subscriptions. Oh, my. Wow. <laughs> Scandal at the Reader's Digest. Now and Digest. then the Digest tried to put their toe in the water, you know, and their readers always kind of slapped them down. But that was one of the things that really made me decide to write the story the way it did, along with being involved in athletics, in the long-distance running scene, and being in the AAU myself, and 
being a kind of... I didn't of, realize that. I didn't know that you would actually were a runner. Yeah, I got involved well, in... Well, certainly it shows. <laughs> long distance running was kind of the first of the emerging extreme sports. I mean, people thought you were crazy to want to run in a marathon. And there the, were just the a handful of crazy men of that, that did that. Well, 26.2 miles. Even Prefontaine didn't run that far. Right. You know? He was middle distance. And I got involved in this. And at the time, the issue was around the women's rules. Women were only allowed to run two and a half miles oh. at the time. <laughs> we would fall over dead. You know, or our <laughs> our that, uteruses like would a, fall out on like the road. <laughs> And so we were trying to get the rules changed and get the same distances as the men. I so can't. I was involved in all of the politics. And I was still in the closet myself at that I was in my, you know, late twenties, rounding thirty at that time, and, and being there, I began to become aware of that there were people like me who were also still in the closet. And the thought occurred to me at a certain point, gosh, nobody has ever written about this. Mm. No, I mean, the picture of a gay athlete, even now, I think is challenging. We had the the idiot from San, the San Francisco football team being sort of a fool about talking about... Can't have no homos in the locker room. Right. Particularly right, right. In, the, in the team sports where there's that locker room phantom menace that right. they always invoke. Exactly. You know? Because we're right. completely unable to control ourselves and he's so amazing. Yeah, right. Anyway, the point being, like, gay athletes were, even now, are not the most common. It, it isn't something that, that people think of. No, it, it, it's beginning to happen. I mean, it's little well, it's obviously little been happening little, right along. Little Hello. by little. It, you know, I mean, I think we'll get there. The, the tough thing has been team sports. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you have uh, the pressures of the... Uh, the owners, the team owners, the corporate sponsors, the fans, the everybody, you know, and and uh, just not not to mention your teammates and and about anything. And that silly belief that so long informed the "don't ask, don't tell" mentality of that somehow it would. What, what's the the, the 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 term the military used to say the group order or unit unit, unit morale cohesion. unit cohesion unit cohesion unit morale. Yeah, I think it's that same sort of insane. Pro- Perception that somehow knowing that one of your teammates on your football team is gay would prevent you from playing football as well. Exactly. That's the delusional part for Mr. Scott well, Carr. I have to say, I think that what what is so offensive about that is that it posits one of two ridiculous scenarios. One, that they're going to not take no for an answer and literally force themselves on you in the locker room. And the other <laughs> is that you, just... as a supposedly heterosexual person, won't be able to resist the temptation of someone of the same gender who you know to be homosexual right. in your vicinity. So what does does that say one that all gay people are rapists, or two that you're bisexual and need to talk to somebody mm-hmm. about it, or maybe just gay? <laughs> maybe <laughs> so, or, or that you, as a heterosexual, are so easily tempted that you could be uh, you could be drawn to abandon your yes. positioning as a heterosexual. Well, I think all of that goes back to the notion that it's a choice, right? You know, I always say to people, mm-hmm. you know, and when did you decide to be heterosexual, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like I. It isn't like I sat down and thought one day, hmm, I wonder what – well, let's look at the options. Let's get the literature and leave mm-hmm. through and see which is the most – nobody – actually, it's not a choice. In fact, for the majority of people, if it were a choice, they would have chosen the far more easier and acceptable mm-hmm. option. Certainly, <laughs> if I was ba- making the choice based on convenience. Yeah, right. well, you know, a lot of people in my generation, certainly a lot of women, you know, I was born in 1936, so I'm not even – I'm a pre-boomer. And I never heard the word gay or lesbian until I was in college. I had I had no idea, mm. and I never had uh, teachers or anybody make a pass at me when I was young. Uh, but I somehow you know, and and mm. you become yeah. it. It comes to you through your own spirit, and mm-hmm. you don't make a decision. You just little by little you begin to figure out that it's there, and then what do you wants do? What the so heart wants. I tried very hard to fit in. Mm-hmm. I did the thing that. A lot of women in my generation did. They got married, and they tried really hard. I gave it 16 years. Mm. I gave it a hell of a try. Mm -hmm. That's quite a try. No. But, yeah, if you weren't being presented with any other viable alternatives, Mm -hmm. what were you to do? Right. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show. Dessert is on us. Let us get some on you.
Well, I have to say, as I said in our show recap that we did on YouTube after that show, that that all the effort of putting the studio together and producing the show week to week was worth it just to see the expression on your face when Patricia sat down at the table across from you. That was pretty cool. So Christopher's gone to a great deal of trouble to make me cry. I have. <laughs> I used to just <laughs> use really... thumbtacks and whoopee cushions and fake snakes. That was but one now of I having Patricia on the show. Legendary authors. Having yeah. Patricia on the show was one of the most remarkable. Although one of her fans on Facebook said we kept referring to her as legendary and it made it sound like she was dead. Well, since she was live on the show, I think that sort of, you know put the lie to that yes, particular but belief. these were in the post leading up to the show. But the same principle applies. How would we be promoting the appearance of a long-dead person on our show? I guess, you know, like that Tupac thing where they did the, the hologram. The, hologram. the Patricia Nell Warren hologram. Although that would be much less effective on radio, I would think. As a, yes, I, we would have to keep saying. Now, remember everyone, it is a hologram. So it looks like she's right really now. sitting there. Actually, she's legendary, but she's also still around. She's looks so like, legendary that they didn't wait until 100 years well, after she was gone to make her a legend. And that, isn't that what uh, Howard Stern does most of the time? I, this stripper is totally naked, guys. I, just, I wish you could see this totally naked stripper. I guess now they do the TV version of his show on E. Have you ever have you been keeping up with Howard Stern, Eric? Uh, you know, I've kind of let things lapse since my own, one and only tangential appearance on his show a million years ago when I was out promoting Star, the book that no one should buy because I don't get any money for it. <laughs> Which has never paid me. You co-wrote with Pamela Anderson, who we spoke of yeah, and had reviewed on our birthday special. Because she did so much week. writing on it. Yeah, right. Co-wrote. I wrote the book and she put her name on it. Exactly. That's what co-writing involved. And then she didn't pay me for it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But enough. Enough about her. Memorances. Uh, we've also had one other really remarkable guest on the Absolutely. show, and one of those moments that I will always, and I'm sure all of the listeners will remember. Absolutely, and we're going to close the show with, I think it's our only live in studio musical performance that we've had on our show so, so far. far. So far, yeah. We'll get on that. And that's going to be from comedian Alec Mappa. And to tell you what it's a performance of would be to spoil the surprise if you haven't heard it already. But we do want to tell you guys that we will be back next week with our regular format, another two-hour live Easter cast. Sunday. March 31st at the usual time. Uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. You are our guests on yes, the show next week. you are. Week. We are devoting a show to interacting with and responding to questions from and maybe getting in a little spat here and there with our listeners on our Facebook page. At the dinner party show. So if you've got any embarrassing personal questions you want to ask Christopher, start thinking of them and posting them on the website, you know, immediately. Absolutely. And if but you have any sharply worded criticisms for Eric, he loves those. I'm He's just a huge crazy fan. about that. He got one on Facebook this morning and he was just loving it. Um, but yeah, so you are the guests on our next show. You are listeners. So, that's so you're coming to Easter dinner party absolutely. show. Absolutely. And we may or may not be dressed as the Easter bunny. You don't know. I'm Eric wearing a may. bonnet. I'm definitely wearing a big then Easter bonnet. I'll wear big giant bunny ears. Edible bunny ears if they make those. Surely they do. Absolutely. I think everything at Easter is made out of chocolate, isn't it? No. No, it's not. Have you been taking a bite out of everything at Easter thinking it's going to be chocolate? I was kind of hoping, yeah. You really believe that your entire world had been turned into chocolate just because it was Easter? That's not what the resurrection means. Well... Then why the baskets full of chocolate? Jesus came back and brought us brightly colored candy eggs. Apparently. That's been my impression. Oh, God. We have a lot to talk about. Ba-bam! We have a lot to talk about. Hey, listen. it's the We're wrapping up the show, so we've got about 45 minutes of technical instructions to give all of you. Don't forget <laughs> to download Everyone's our free part. mobile apps, which allow you to listen into our show wherever you are on your Droid or Apple devices. You can listen live, or you can listen to the continuous stream that runs 24 hours a day between Absolutely. shows, and then a new show starts airing every Sunday. We do encore presentations of a show all week long until the new one airs on Sunday, as Eric just said. We've got a podcast on iTunes that is the full show, broken up into four easily digestible and rapidly downloadable pieces or servings, as we like to call them. Yes. And so you literally cannot miss our show. We are also on SoundCloud, where we post some of our best commercials and sketches from our special correspondents. And of course, everything is available all the time at 
www.thedinnerpartyshow.com. Absolutely. But now we're going to leave you with our, at this point in time, only live in-studio musical performance from comedian Alec Mamba. One of the most unforgettable moments in our show. Absolutely. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to The Dinner Party Show. We have a musical performance from Alec Mamba. I have to say, I'm going to preface this a little bit. Eric and I went to see your show together, and this is your weekly reminder that Eric and I are not romantically involved. If you're a tall British crime solver, you should totally ask Eric out. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Anyway, we went to see your show, Baby Daddy. You did. in a moment of seriousness, was a remarkable show for me because it was about getting older. Oh. No, it really it was. It was about growing older as a gay person. Growing up. It was about growing up. Oh, okay. It wasn't just about raising a child. It was about what do you do? If you haven't seen it, you should. Exactly. And it was incredibly moving to me. And I, I, you know, I finally took you seriously as an artist. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to a show about deterioration. (laughs) That's what it took, man. Chris Rice. Absolutely. Nihilism in the end. Oh, God. We're all going to die. But as part of the show. That's hysterical. the show you did, and now I'll let you explain it. Well, I, I talked about how getting older that I find gay men in their 20s stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun. Yeah. I had a good time being 20 I, and stupid. Yeah, well, you're supposed to be stupid. It's, Absolutely. It's, you know, you're supposed to be stupid when you're in your 20s, but they're like, they like take pride in it now. Like, they're oh. they're professionally stupid. <laughs> and uh, like and I said, first of all, their taste in music is absolutely dreadful. Amen. Um, I come from a generation of gay men that appreciated women like Judy Garland oh. and Edith Piaf oh. and Maria Callas oh. and really, you know, really fucked and up Donna women Summer. who could sing. Right, right. Really kind of like, but they could yeah. sing. Yeah. They had the goods. Yeah. And gay men today like Kesha and Britney Spears. And and my issue is they're not even singers. It's all auto-tune. God, did you hear yeah. what that guy said to her? What? That one of the contestants on X Factor said to Britney when she was telling him this was really not his his career. He was so, so why is it you use auto tune for all of your songs? Oh, no. Live and on the air. Like, oh, wow. I, would, I almost wanted to watch the show. Oh, yeah, all right. So it's like they're not even singers, they're appliances. Like, <laughs> I, I love my toaster. I'm not going to spend 200 bucks to watch it in concert. So uh, my, my caveat was um, I, you know, I'm not here to put anybody down. I actually do love my friends in their 20s. So in order to bridge the gap between our two generations, I would like to do my impression of Miley, uh, Betty Davis mm-hmm. singing a Miley Cyrus song at karaoke. All righty. Here we all go. We all professional. Do not try this at home. Thank you.
I've been to a marvelous party. 